like, okay, bullets are back. I get it. So then welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we'll be discussing the playoffs, we'll be discussing some coaching changes, some GM changes, and a couple of coordinator changes as uh, we hit Black Monday and the season enters into its final dance. Okay, so I'm Harry, I'm filling in for Connor, our usual host. He's Alf in the wilds of Kerry and this does not have any internet, or possibly Donegal, I'm not sure. Either way, he doesn't have internet. But I do have Ronan with me as usual. Yeah, it's back from the wilds of Cavan, where the internet is just about good enough to contribute. As that national broadband plan is working pretty well, you know, it's, it's grand. And um, <laughs> how are you yourself, man? Good, you know, just uh, had a quiet enough new year, but, uh, you know, sad times for the Seahawks, but uh, looking forward to some uh, playoff football uh, and some interesting changes I'm sure we're going to see towards the end of this week in the coaching tree. Absolutely, well, the playoffs obviously won't be the same without you guys, but... Uh, We'll make do. Uh, I'm gonna have to book a few days off work, I think, for some Mondays to make sure I'm able to stay up and watch the watch the whole thing. Well, I guess we'll get we'll get straight into it. So we have our playoff teams now. We know what they are. So obviously, uh, as we all thought would be the case, New England are going to be the number one seed. They're going to have home field the whole way through in the AFC. Pittsburgh number two, uh, Jacksonville, Kansas City, then then Tennessee and Buffalo are the wild card teams. So um, we'll be having uh, we having Tennessee at Kansas City. And uh, Buffalo at Jacksonville. And then the uh, NFC, Philly and Minnesota got the buys. And then we'll have uh, Carolina traveling to the Saints for an all-NFC South matchup. And um, Atlanta going to the Rams. That's a pretty good slate of games. Like, I'm actually looking forward to this. Yeah, it's uh, actually some interesting games. There's kind of like, because there's been so much change this year, it's not like these kind of dynasty teams where you expect them to kind of bully ahead, except for perhaps New England uh, and Pittsburgh in AFC. I think you could have some definite upsets here. I don't think any of us expect them, like, let's say, on odds terms to do it. But I don't think, you know, would it surprise you if Jacksonville blew up? No, not really. Would it surprise you if Tennessee suddenly became good and KC looked bad? Not really. And I think in the in the NFC, we know it's so stacked with powerful teams that anything could happen. And we'll talk about that in the preview, but I suppose, like, of all the teams that qualified, I suppose the most uh, important one is obviously Buffalo, haven't been in the playoffs since 1999. Uh, are now basically pre-building statues to Andy Dalton <laughs> and his greatness. Praise be Andy Dalton already already talks about you know inducting him into the Ring of Honor and all that. Basically, the Buffalo fans are incre- were incredibly thirsty, and you know finally they have reached the promised land. Even if it is the case where they may have lost Lejean McCoy, their best player for the wild card round I think they're just happy to be in there and it's, it's great to see them I'm sure we'll see kind of similar things if Cleveland ever sorted their stuff out which of course is the only other thing that was confirmed that Cleveland have gone 0-16 very yeah. sad the Cleveland uh, also parade now. scheduled for the 6th of January it is. bring all your family and Cleveland also now have the longest uh, playoff drought uh, I think Buffalo had the longest now they're in the playoffs so Cleveland also take on that uh, dishonor so it hasn't been a great week for Cleveland but you know, they've made history. Uh, the Lions are no longer alone, and um, I think things can only go up from here, although uh, they've decided to keep their coach. I, I think it has been pretty cool, the Andy Dalton thing. I mean, there's charity raised over $100,000 just from donations from Bills fans, which is, is nice, um, if a little weird. But, I mean, look, they're, they're happy to be there. They, they hate their own quarterback, but they like Andy Dalton, so... I yeah, well, the... NFL fans show that they really care about charities in a really selective fashion, depending on how their fancy team does or what Andy Dalton does. Not really sure you could predict how NFL fans will donate, but, uh, you know, as long as it's going to a good cause, I suppose it doesn't really matter that much. 
Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, maybe we should start a whip around for Cleveland. See if they can buy buy out Jimmy Halston's stake <laughs> and get a real owner. Because uh, that's going to be grim. The parade should be fun. Apparently they're just going to go around the stadium. Um, not make a huge deal of it, but it should be good. Although, by losing that game, speaking of charity, of course, normally, if well, I say normally, but it's only for the last few years, and they've planned on having this parade. They When they haven't gone over 16, they've been like, oh, we'll donate all the money we raised to charity. So while the parade is fun and all, there's your selective charitable giving in the NFL in action again. So we'll see how that works out. So yeah, so Cleveland Owen 16, Hugh Jackson somehow keeps his job, uh, despite having a 1-31 record over the last two seasons, which is about as bad as it gets. But um, several of the coaches haven't been as lucky. Chuck Pagano, I think we knew that one was coming. John Fox, I think we knew that one was coming. Jim Caldwell, a little bit of a surprise over in Detroit. Uh, Jack Del Rio in Oakland. It's been a bad year, but also this one was a bit surprising. And Bruce Arians in Arizona uh, has retired rather than face the chop, although he probably wouldn't have been fired, but uh, he wasn't in a particularly good situation there. Um, so which of these jumps out at you as being sort of the most significant? Yeah, because we've discussed Chuck Pagano and John Fox before. It was kind of writing on the wall for both. They've both been given multiple chances and haven't really made any of it. Jim Caldwell kind of feels like a Detroit move in the sense of you have a coach who's done pretty well especially for Detroit, which obviously has a, a long history of Browns-type behaviour, yet they get rid of them now. I hope that they've put some thought into it. Perhaps they're looking that you know, the coordinators for what were carrying the team, both Terrell Austin and Jim Bob Cooter, have been pretty good. Maybe they're looking to promote one of those guys instead of letting them go away. Uh, but like really with Detroit, it's kind of this, one of those weird situations where it didn't really make sense. They were okay, they weren't good. It kind of feels maybe like John Fox when he left Denver. It's like they don't think they can make the next step with him. But there's always the chance with Detroit that they'll take up many, many steps backwards. Uh, but I think, yeah, Jack Del Rio is probably the most interesting one because while he had a poor season, he's obviously coming off a season one year ago where they looked really good. And obviously the rumor mill has gone into overdrive. And it's pretty much confirmed now that John Gruden is going to take over there at the Basically, the Oak, like the Raiders, are looking for a bit of razzle dazzle with John Gruden, obviously very well known from his uh, from his media personality and just from being, you know, kind of a big personality overall. That they're looking for someone who can take them to Vegas in a more Vegasy fashion, and Jack Del Rio wasn't really fitting the bill anymore. Uh, I suppose the only other thing in there is that the players apparently aren't too distraught over this, so maybe there's something going on in the locker room as well. John Gruden generally seen as a kind of players uh, players coach type of guy. But obviously, he's been out of the game so long, we have no idea if he'll actually be good or not. Uh, it's only so much Spider-Y banana you can actually do. <laughs> Spider-2-Y banana. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. I think those are, those are the two significant ones. Um, the Del Rio one, yeah, the, play, the player's aspect is, is interesting. But Gruden, I, I, I disagree with you a little bit, though, because I don't think it, Gruden is like, oh, it's the razzle-dazzle of Vegas. I think the Raiders are right now making a huge effort to make everyone forget that they're leaving Oakland and they're having all these throwbacks. Like It's like, oh yeah, you know, John Gruden was one of the most successful head coaches in the history of the franchise. We'll bring him back. It's like this old school Oakland. So it's an interesting sort of game they're playing there. It would be very funny, obviously, if Gruden decides to keep his booth job and then leaves the Raiders absolutely <laughs> spinning know, in they, circles. They saw it like John Lynch. Oh man, he managed to get a Garoppolo trade. So maybe if we bring this other thing, he'll be a great coach. Bringing back media personalities might be like the new trend. Uh, but I assume it won't end Did, very well. Didn't, didn't work out too well in Miami, to be honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> with Jay Cutler. But there was one interesting uh, sort of footnote on this Jack Del Rio thing, which is that obviously in the NFL there's a Rooney rule, right? Which means that you have to interview a set number of um, coaches from minority background when you have a, a position for head coach, and I believe now for GM as well. The 
Raiders are technically doing that, but everyone knows they're going to hire John Gruden. So they're bringing in these guys for interviews just basically to make up the numbers. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if there's... It's going to be quite hard to do, but if there's any pushback against that, and if there's any kind of um, changes we see or modifications of the rule as we've seen in the past, like with the addition of GMs, to sort of prevent this kind of thing where technically they're fulfilling the letter of the law, but they know who they want, and it is this one guy... And that's not really the spirit of why the Rooney Rule exists. And there has been a decline in the last 10 years in the number of uh, minority coaches or coaches from minority background or whatever you want to call it, uh, appointed to both head coach and defensive and defensive coordinator positions, which is interesting that this is kind of teams initially did this to an extent, but now we're in this phase. I think Gruden is just the most public and obvious version of it. Know who they want, but then feel like they have to go through this as a box checking exercise. Yeah, but it's hard to imagine there's any way of really forcing this on people uh, or really, you know, you're trying to kind of uh, divine through some kind of rule system people's intent when they, you know, actually interview someone. You would have to have really strong evidence from inside the organization and presumably the NFL would have to have the right to do so, which perhaps it could gain uh, to find out that, oh, yeah, they've already selected John Gruden officially, completely on paper. Uh, And, you know, I think just in so many situations, guys, like, you know, we, we kind of expect... Or, like, if your team fired, like, a coordinator or a coach, you kind of hope they have a good idea of who their favorite candidate is. So, by default, it's almost a situation that if that candidate doesn't ha- happens to be white, it's kind of hard to then go, well, they're only doing the token guy. And, like, you know, what, like whatever the rights are wrong with it, it's true that when a guy, regardless of why they're interviewed, does get interviewed, you expect them to become interviewed more often as the seasons go on. Just certain names keep popping up, and then suddenly they get a job. I don't think it's perfect. I think, you know, Rooney Rule, it could be toughened up, but it's hard to see it that happening in the current environment with the current structure. I think it's kind of gone as far as it can go without going to full quotas or something like that for your coaching staff, having a certain number of uh, people from minorities or something like that. But it's very hard to see that coming true in something like the NFL. Um, but yeah, it, like the Rooney Rule, it was very progressive for its time, but there's kind of limits to what it can do. Uh, you just have to hope that teams care about bringing up coaches from those organizations or from those those backgrounds and making sure they get a shot yeah that's 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 fair um it, it is an implementation problem uh but I, that's what i mentioned to see if there is any change made as a result of this now part of it is just because the raiders have been so obvious about it you know if they haven't been jumping <laughs> up and down we're getting john gruden it might have looked like a transparent process but here we are there's that clash again like you say between if a team know who they want to hire how much can you do to modify that a uh, very brief note on Bruce Arians retiring. Carson Palmer has retired along with him. Palmer has been injury-struck and, let's be honest, mediocre for the last few seasons. Not a huge surprise there. But let's see what happens with Larry Fitzgerald. He did just sign a one-year contract with a no-trade clause. You'd assume he certainly planned on uh, playing out at least another year in Arizona. But now with Arians gone and Palmer gone, and God knows what the quarterback situation is going to be there, let alone the head coach, be interesting to see what happens with Fitzgerald, and that's one to watch over the summer, see if he makes any decisions there. In terms of that's in terms of the coaches who've been fired, right? There's also been some coaches who haven't been fired. So we've mentioned Hugh Jackson, but there are a couple of other ones that were maybe a bit surprising. Uh, Vance Joseph, okay, first year head coach, fair enough, you get some leeway, but that was a mess down in Denver. And Dirk Cutter in Tampa Bay, which surprised me massively, he was one of my personal, I think this guy's gone. He's like lost the locker room. He was brought in to make Jameis Winston great, and Jameis Winston has been awful. But Tampa Bay keeping the faith, and I know like they kept Greg Schiano for two seasons. So I mean, I guess that's kind of the standard <laughs> you're setting there. 
And then I think the most surprising, though, was a guy who said he was going to retire and then came back. And speaking of what Ronan was mentioning earlier about guys who've brought you just far enough, but then you kind of need to get rid of them if you want to move it to the next level. Marvin Lewis has signed a two-year extension in Cincinnati. This came out of the blue. I, I did not expect this. Well, it's funny because the last time Marvin Lewis looked like he was going to be fired was rather than last time that Carson Palmer also retired. So, <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's just one of those like weird echo things, something gone wrong in the Matrix. But yeah, Marvin Lewis, uh, it, it's like, you know, it, it, it was the sense, like obviously I don't think that the owner there wanted to get rid of Brown, wanted to get rid of of Marvin Lewis. He likes Marvin Lewis, they have a long-standing relationship. I think this is just one of those cases where the chorus of people saying things need to change was getting so large that you kind of have to move on with the fans turning at someone. Then they have that win against the Ravens. Is that the kind of thing where, you know, they're right in that 50-50 edge and decide to move it? But overall, like, personally, I think for Cincinnati, like, based on what we've seen over the last two seasons, it kind of feels like Marvin Lewis has, has moved beyond that. I think when they were at their most successful, they had a backroom staff which have gone on to be head coaches and quite successful head coaches. You think of Jay Gruden, you think of Mike Zimmer, partially think of Hugh Jackson, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it kind of felt like that was a, an organization which had accrued talent across the team, across the coaching staff, and that has been worn away by you know free agency and the draft and, and to people being taken away to be coaches, that the organization, re- like Marvin Lewis, isn't really that good of a coach. Maybe he's more of a team builder, but I think... Like for me personally, it shows a lack of ambition. It shows it's probably going to lead to more frustration. And you know, giving a two-year extension, I'd be surprised he makes it past next season, especially with Pittsburgh looking to dominate that division next year as well. To be honest, that's probably the most likely outcome. So for me, yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's acceptable, but I think you know the pressure is just going to build even more. You really just need to make a move at this point. And it kind of feels like they're kind of stuck spinning the wheels once again in 2018. Yeah, I think I think I'd agree with you pretty much completely on that. It doesn't seem like a, a bold move that's going to lead to anywhere anywhere great for Cincinnati anyway. But you know, we'll see. You never know how these things work out. But uh, I mean, I'm terrible. We'll discuss later. I'm terrible at predicting things in the NFL. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not impressed. I'm a bit confused. Maybe they just didn't like anybody else. But very briefly, uh, a couple of candidates who who are to fill these things who they might have liked. So we've got obviously uh, Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia, the coordinators in New England. McDaniels had a Less than successful head coach run in Denver, obviously, during the Tim Tebow era. But, you know, the idea is that he will learn some more. Patricia, a bit of a cipher, to be honest with you. That's an interesting one. As a Pats fan, uh, we give him an awful lot of credit for working with bad personnel and making our defense functional. But he's done an awful lot of work with bad personnel to make a defense functional. It's I hard to know what Patricia's... Super... Sorry. Sorry, no. It's hard to know like what Patricia's ceiling actually looks like. Uh, especially because Bill Belichick is such a defensive mastermind as the head coach. So that's one to watch, but he seems very highly sought after. Pretty much every single team without a head coach has been linked to Patricia, even more so than McDaniels. Um, Yeah, and he's got to get that reputation of being super smart, could be a GM, he's so involved in that kind of stuff. I think people are kind of seeing him almost as a Bill Belichick potential type of coach. Not just a good coach, but someone who could take your organisation basically at every level and, and elevate it uh, at, at every level. So I think, it's, I think it's one of those things where his reputation is so high right now that someone kind of feels like, well, if we get this guy, maybe he can turn our organization into the dynasty that we saw in New England. But uh, that's quite hard to see uh, right <laughs> now. Is real. Hey, you know, you're, if you're willing to take a shot for that type of success, you know, there's some teams out there that would be desperate enough to try it. Yeah, absolutely. And a couple of other names. Uh, Jim Schwartz, obviously, 
Uh, done a fantastic job with the defense in Philadelphia after doing a not-so-good job as a head coach in Detroit a few years ago. Uh, then we've got Terrell Austin, Dennis Allen, another one who washed out of head coach and went back to being coordinator, is looking for a second go-around. Uh, veteran Pat Shermer. You've got Mike Vrabel, um, who's defense coordinator in Houston. It's an interesting one, actually. Vrabel is, if Patricia leaves and Vrabel doesn't get a job, he's now being linked with the New England Patriots defensive coordinator job. So there's some musical chairs to watch around there. Also, Steve Wilkes, uh, Matt Nagy, Dave Tube, who I believe is the special teams coach in Kansas City. And I think Connor actually mentioned him last year. Uh, as a potential head coach candidate, none of us had ever heard of him, and now he's one of the sort of you know guys being talked about seriously in the media. So Connor does know his Kansas City, if nothing else, and uh, John DeFilippino was the other name being thrown around. Yeah. So a bunch of you know sort of guys who have some experience uh, as head coaches, a bunch of guys who have just experience as coordinators, but a lot of sort of interesting combination of youth and experience there. So we'll see what roles get filled. Um, some teams I think are going to be very very happy in the short term. Uh, maybe not so much in the long term, and some teams are just going to be not very happy. But you know, it's it's Chicago. Nice things haven't happened to them for a long time, so that's fine. <laughs> um, there's also been some changes on the GM front. Um, really, only one massively significant. Like Rick Smith is on indefinite leave for his wife's uh, cancer. It's obviously a personal issue there. We know that him and Bill O'Brien haven't been getting on, and we know there's been a lot of tension going on in Houston. That is what it is. One to keep an eye on for the time being and see if this is. Uh, obviously, I don't doubt it's genuine, but see if that he, he doesn't uh, decide that he's got too much on his plate in personal life and just steps away before he's uh, forced out. Also, Ted Thompson, uh, the GM of the Green Bay Packers, has now moved to the Senior Advisor of Football Operations, which is a bit like I think, the Junior Executive Vice President kind of <laughs> role after basically refusing to engage in free agency ever. Uh, so we expect the Packers being the Packers that they'll find somebody from within the organization who we've never heard of to promote. But the big one is uh, former Panthers GM Dave Gettleman uh, having been appointed in New York. He's already making changes. Uh, right tackle Bobby Hart. Apparently he didn't have the right attitude, so he was just cut straight off the bat. Uh, Eli Apple is still there, but we'll see how long that lasts. Um, and he's already been rejigging the front office. Like Gettleman was, is an interesting one because... New York's a fairly fractured dressing room at the moment. There have been a lot of issues. There were basically a power struggle going on there all season behind the scenes. Um, Gettleman comes in, starts cleaning house, starts making changes. But that was sort of what he did in Carolina, and he ended up ultimately rubbing a lot of people up the wrong way and losing the faith of the players. Do you think there's a risk of that happening here in New York? This might be one of those short-term fixes that turn sour in such a high-pressure organization. Yeah, I think there's definitely a risk of that, but there's also a sense that the Giants or the Giants owner, uh, Mara, kind of felt the team was getting out of control, known that there was ill-discipline across the organization. Obviously, you've seen many manifestations of that this year with like, like how many of their cornerbacks have been suspended at one, at one time or another. I think Gettleman, his reputation went into the Panthers. He cleaned shop. He got, rid of, uh, he got rid of the fat. He got rid of players who, even though they were popular, like Steve Smith and D'Angelo Williams, he got rid of them and they were bloated contracts and he said, we're going to build a strong team and the Panthers within a few seasons were a contender again and continued to be a contender even after he was got rid of. Uh, and I think in the Giants, maybe they're looking at Jacksonville and they're thinking, like yearning for those Tom Coughlin days <laughs> where someone would have everyone in five minutes early because five minutes early is on time uh, and they're thinking, we need someone like that in our front office to you know, sort things out on the personnel side, make sure we're not continuing to get out of this cap issue, and also someone who will hire a coach who's also in that line, someone who's tough, someone who will bring this organization around, and someone who understands that in the Giants uh, media organization, like kind of Giants media market, 
they need someone who can control this because it's kind of more likely things can go wrong or people can get high expectations of themselves when they have all this attention versus if they're in somewhere like Green Bay or Kansas City or something like that. So I think they're kind of going, like, we tried the whole fancy offensive coordinator. We need someone tough like Dave Gettleman to come in, sort that out, and get a coach who will do the same. Uh, we'll see if that happens with the coach cam that they actually bring in, but that's how I expect it to go, and it, it kind of fits the Giants' profile when they were most successful over the last decade or so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I, I kind of hope it's Jim Schwartz just because he's uh, a raging asshole. So <laughs> that <laughs> might might cause some other uh, other tension there. But we'll, again, an interesting one to watch. Um, it's easy to forget that Ben McAdoo is gone because it's hard to remember Ben McAdoo existing because that was weird and bad. But uh, definitely New York, I think, is one of the prime landing spots just for the market it is, for the history it has, regards to the problems there. And I think very much agree with you that a guy like Gettleman uh, makes it easier to attract a coach rather than the sort of organizational chaos they had going on up to this point. Yeah, I think with the Giants, you might have forgot McAdoo because he did look like a throwback from the 80s. Like, <laughs> literally, had been transplanted from the 80s. And it's like, okay, bullets are back. I get it. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> I, I, I am on board with that. That <laughs> makes sense to me. So we've also had a couple of uh, significant coordinator changes, or well, two defensive coordinator uh, changes anyway. Uh, Dean Pease, the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens, has retired. A uh, very up and down season for the Baltimore defense at times, looking like an absolutely elite unit. At other times, well, I mean, getting destroyed by the Jaguars and giving up uh, so many points to the Bengals when it all mattered, but... He's been around a while, so that was, you know, probably coming. And I think it's been a, a difficult and confusing season. But whoever takes over there is probably going to be landing in a fairly talent-rich position. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. The other one, however, uh, Dom Capers has finally, finally had his tenure uh, in Green Bay come to an end. A very talent-deficient secondary there that he wasn't doing a good job with either. Um, this has been something Green Bay fans have been calling for for a very, very long time, right? Yeah, I think in Green Bay, we've discussed it before, Aaron Rodgers papers over a lot. But where Aaron Rodgers gone this season, the weaknesses in that team were shown up. And they were shown up particularly on the defense where they simply have been bad for a very long time. And Dom Capers has to take the, has to take the shot for that because he has had plenty of time to implement all his systems, work with some talent. Like, like the talent in Green Bay has been okay. It's never been like amazing, but to a certain extent you could say that that's been due to poor evaluation on the defense. Whether that's his fault or whether that's a front office issue, I think overall it just kind of feels that everyone was sick of Dom Capers. And you can kind of feel a little bit maybe of nipping on the heels of Mike McCarthy that things have got a bit stagnant. That you know, the Green Bay, they're obviously a franchise with incredibly high expectations. And that this season kind of showed that they're, they're very close, literally just an injury away from being one of the worst teams in the league and I think for a team of Green Bay stature that's just not an acceptable place to be so I expect that this is kind of a warning shot to the uh, coaching staff as a whole that if you don't perform we are actually willing to make changes even in a venerable organisation such as the Green Bay Packers Yeah that is fair, I, I agree with you completely like it was Green Bay is one of those places that I think expects a certain standard or whatever you want to call it and Kuiper's defence haven't for a long time been up to that and this year it just got brutally exposed uh, in the absence of Rodgers. And for the first time, I mean, we've had seasons without Rodgers before, but this was the first time they had some serious competition in that division, and it ended the way it did. Green Bay third is just not acceptable for that team right now. 
Um, very briefly, we've only really got one major injury. Uh, Adam Levitri, the guard for the Atlanta Falcons, has a torn tricep. He'll be out for, well, the rest of the season, which might just be a game. Uh, we'll see what our predictions are later. Um, <laughs> but a bit of a blow, uh, certainly for Atlanta, but not, uh, not, not earth-shattering, but still definitely a setback. Uh, so now we'll move on to our favourite part of this and every week, crime and punishment. What are they doing? Probably felonies. Um, maybe, actually, this week. We'll see how, it, we'll see how the police investigations go. Um, so firstly, TJ Ward has been arrested uh, for marijuana possession, I believe. Um, again, not TJ Ward again, uh, but uh, just another player arrested for marijuana possession. Uh, he's currently on bail, uh, pending charges to be made. Uh, he was in Tampa Bay this season, looked about as old as he is and as broke down as he is. Do you think this could sort of be the final nail in the coffin for TJ Ward? He might get one more run out, but it wouldn't be surprising if whatever team picks him up cuts him uh, to the, when the 53 comes around. So I think TJ Ward's career as an actual starter is pretty much over now. Yeah, I'll have plenty of time to go and smoke weed, which, you know, fine, <laughs> I, I'm okay. Yeah, I, I think that's totally okay. I mean, we know what the opinion on this podcast is about the NFL's treatment of weed but like stop getting fucking arrested and like just, just be smart about it like come on man like you're paid you're paid enough money that you'd think you'd be able to find a place to do it that you won't oh, just I don't know and to be fair if it's a player who could do with the calming influence of marijuana TJ Ward would be up there at the top <laughs> <laughs> that is 100 I'm, I'm in favour of that uh, 100% and uh, Todd Haley the uh, notoriously combative uh, offence coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers um, I shouldn't laugh because this isn't funny, but it is uh, when you hear all the details. He has an injury in his leg, I think possibly in his hip, that he obtained in a bar fight outside a bar called the Tequila Cowboy, which is just around the corner from Heinz Field. Now, that is, is that's, you, you remember Kissing Susie Calder, that old um, NFL parody website uh, it's run by uh, Matt Offord and Mike Tunison and all those guys. They had like this parody of uh, Todd Haley who was like boss Todd who like drove a Camaro yeah, and yeah like he's actually <laughs> this, this, he's turned into his parody character um, I mean I don't know what to say about this it does appear that Todd Haley in fairness was the was the victim in all of this but um, after the Ryan brothers uh, another NFL coach involved in a bar fight yeah I, I, I don't even like, know certain coaches get the benefit of doubt Todd Haley is not one of those coaches. Even like even like even if it's just like karma for being an asshole for so many years, he's the kind of like coach who people in in the public might be like Todd Haley, fuck Todd Haley, and then they get to a fight <laughs> New Year's Eve. I think his wife was there, so we'll get you know probably he didn't start it, but I doubt he he made any strong efforts to finish it either in a peaceful manner. Uh, it's Todd Haley. Probably true. And, I mean, it's not like Pittsburgh have been... Like, they made the playoffs. They got the number two seed. Like, assaulting the offensive coordinator seems a little disproportionate, to be honest. But, nah, yinzers. Um, so, we've got a couple of other little things just to get through here. Um, Devontae Adams signed a four-year, $52 million extension uh, in Green Bay. So, that, you know, obviously uh, changing the GM, but... In the defensive coordinator, but keeping some pieces. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where that leaves Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson over the season. Something to watch. Adams has emerged really from very much a WR3 to become pretty much the number one wide receiver in Green Bay. So fair play to him. I think we can probably agree that he's earned that money. And they've also signed their center, Corey Lindsley, to a three-year, $25.5 million extension. Again, uh, solid player. I think both of these like make sense as moves, right? Yeah, I think you put it right in the head. 
I think uh, Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson all only have one year left, so they could be potential cap casualties, but at the very least, we can expect at least one of them to be gone at the end of one season. Devontae Adams is the only wide receiver in Green Bay who really looked good without Aaron Rodgers, and I think that you know is what convinced Green Bay he's the one they want to pay, uh, so I expect one of the other two to get the chop either this season or next season. Uh, which is fine. I think it makes sense. Devon Adams earned it. He's the one who gets targeted after all by all the yeah, other players. <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Hopefully, no more no more major head injuries for Devonte. Um, also, Kansas City has signed CJ Spiller for the sixth, fifth, seventh. I, I don't even know. CJ Spiller is back in Kansas City. One question, Ronan: Is he still there this time next week? Um, they'll cut him and then re-sign him. Okay. He's got another go around. We'll, okay. So follow up question. Do you think C.J. Spiller, if the Chiefs go all the way to the Super Bowl and win it, will C.J. Spiller be given a ring? Um, he'll be given five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm okay with this. I now want the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl just to see C.J. Spiller get a ring for every time he's been on the roster. Okay. A couple of little miscellaneous pieces. Um, Jacksonville obviously have had part of their the seating in their stadium covered with tarps, which have sponsors on them because... Nobody goes to watch Jags games. Now the Jags are good. That is no longer the situation. So the Jags were like, hey, can we, you know, take the tarps up maybe? And the sponsors and the NFL were like, no, which, you know, shows where the priorities lie a bit, doesn't it? Sponsorship money versus um, the fans. But they did eventually get an agreement and now Jacksonville will have full capacity. I believe those seats sold out in something like five minutes when they actually went on sale. And I think, yeah, and they've done a little PR move and they're inviting, I think, a thousand tickets for Puerto Ricans, affected by Hurricane Irma. So I think Jags are actually showing organizational efficiency and it scares me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we hope they re-sign Blake Portals to like a 15-year contract to (laughs) announce this actual good move from the Jags. Yeah, well, uh, that's true. Well, Jarrell Casey was trash-talking Portals again, so he still gets no respect, so that's fine. Um, also, little quirk in the draft. Uh, this doesn't happen very often. Oakland and San Francisco are tied for the ninth pick on every single draft tiebreaker. Um, so even weird shit like strength of victory and all that stuff um, is tied. So that's going to go to a coin flip. Um, that John Lynch uh, had quite a good line, made light of it, and somebody asked him about it. He was like, oh, yeah, I've been practicing uh, my coin flips. I've been talking to our statisticians. I say I've got a 50-50 shot, which <laughs> I thought was pretty good. Um, that's just a weird, little, a weird little quirk. We'll see what happens. I don't think it's going to be hugely significant. Or maybe it will be. Who knows? Uh, if one of the teams loses a coin flip and drafts a bust, and then the other one drafts a good player, that could be, you know, there could be some follow-up there. Um, and the final thing to note is we've got the Hall of Fame uh, finalists. We've got 15 finalists, including Terrell Owens, so they can reject him again because they don't like him very much. Uh, notice, noted uh, Justice Obstructor Ray Lewis is there. Uh, guy who was never quite as good as Ray Lewis, Brian Erlacher. Uh, Randy Moss, obviously... Brian Dawkins, Ty Law, a bunch of other guys, some uh, tackles from the 1990s who I'm assured were great, but I've never heard of because I didn't watch football in the 1990s. Who do you... Two, two questions here. Who do you think of the guys who've been nominated is like... First, is, is the the lock. Who do you think is going to be the guy who's definitely going to get in? Uh, other than Ray Lewis. Because, other than Ray Lewis. Oh, please get in. Ray Lewis. Um, I, it's weird. Like, I, like, it's kind of hard to say right now because I think there's a lot of kind of... Uh, back guys that they want to do I think Brian Dawkins is generally considered mm. to be a high thing and John Lynch one of those are expected to get in kind of as the safety candidate and you can usually expect one of the um, one of the offensive linemen to get in uh, I think I don't know if your follow up question is but who won't get in but should get in it would probably be 
the uh, wide receiver pair of Terrell Owens and Randy Moss. The fact that the Hall of Fame has found the time to cock block Terrell Owens for three seasons, despite being like in statistical terms like the third or fourth best wide receiver of all time, basically Jerry Rice, he's in the next tier below that, uh, means that Randy Moss might get the same behaviour. But if anyone can overcome being a dick, I suppose Randy Moss is probably the one who scared enough people in his time that he'll be like, okay, you scared us enough that we'll respect you and let you in first time. But it would, of course, be another you know punch in the dick for Terrell Owens. So uh, that's kind of good and bad. He probably deserves to be in, but he was also a dick. So yeah, not they, too sad about this overall. They might let Moss in just <laughs> spite Owens on the first ballot, like just to get him. I do, I actually agree. Brian Dawkins would be my call as well, who I think is the most likely after after Lewis to get um to get. Uh, inducted is the word yeah to get inducted into the Hall of Fame I'd love to see Ty Law get it but I think he's going to have to wait a good few years um, you know who didn't make the final again uh, don't know Don Coriel again oh yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's just, <laughs> I, just, I actually don't understand it at this point like I'm, I'm like these guys were you know they were great players and what, but even like I, I, I'm sorry the, the contribution made by even like top 10 all-time players like other than this very small elite of players they don't change the game and Don Coriel did like the NFL would not exist as it does without Don Coriel and the fact that he's not even considered a finalist because he never had a Super Bowl winning team is to me absolutely mental but here we are Hall of Fame voters are a fickle bunch Don Coriel should be in the Hall of Fame it's a joke that he isn't everyone serious thinks he should be uh Guys like John Madden, like dedicate, like they say, that they would never have been who they were. They would never have been the coaches they were without this guy's influence. And it's mad that this 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 hall that's meant to represent the story of football cannot find a place for one of the great innovators simply because he didn't measure up to some arbitrary success metric that is applied completely inconsistently between different individuals for no discernible reason. Uh, believe it or not, I didn't rehearse that. I actually just came up with that. I actually just replaced uh, Steve Tasker with Don Coriel. <laughs> Steve Tasker should also be in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he's eligible or not yet, but Steve Tasker should also be in the Hall of Fame. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's that uh, rant out of the way for another year. I'm sure we'll have my uh, Don Coriel and Steve Tasker should be in the Hall of Fame rant uh, 2019 in around 12 months. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So that's all of the uh, the news covered off. Uh, well, some of it news, some of it just, you know, shit-talking. But, eh, you know, you knew what you were getting into when you listened to this. You know how it goes. I don't know what you expected. Connor isn't even here. I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't read half of this thing. It's going to be class. So we're going to move into the game reviews. So first up in the uh, Ring of Honor, we have two teams we've mentioned briefly beforehand. Uh, Cincinnati and Baltimore. 31-27 uh, to 27 came down to a... Well, last second uh, pass to Tyler Boyd, of all people, from Andy Dalton, who took it to the house with about 45 seconds left to ice the game and um, overtake Baltimore. Um, let's just talk about that ending for a second. We've discussed sort of Dalton within the, you know, the funny stuff that's happened in Buffalo and all the heartwarming stuff with his charity. Dalton's had a difficult couple of years. Do you think we saw something from him in this game, and against Detroit as well to an extent, that... Maybe there is something in Andy Dalton, and maybe Cincinnati should be looking to like change something else to bring this out of him more frequently. Yeah, I think we've all. I think you could always respect Andy Dalton. He came into a team that was already pretty good, and he did what was expected of him. 
And obviously, as the pressures increase for him to be a franchise quarterback, TM, who you know can carry the franchise, it's going to be more difficult for him. But he was never really expected when he was drafted to be that type of player. I think what we're seeing over the last couple of seasons, and particularly towards the back end of the season, is that he's starting to kind of get it that he has to start doing that. And I think with the way that they're doing stuff there, I think with Bill Lazor when they brought him in earlier in the season, and who will be staying on as OC... Uh, he did show improvement once that happened. So I think for me, like Andy Dalton, you know, he's like a top 16 quarterback. <laughs> and like, if you do the right job around him, he could win a, he could win a Super Bowl potentially, probably not for the Bengals because the Bengals. But uh, like overall, I think they've done a lot of things for them. They obviously have AJ Green there. They've drafted guys like Tyler Boyd uh, to kind of do things. And they had John Ross who didn't really do anything this season. I think Andy Dalton, you're fine there. I think with Cincinnati, it's just one of those teams like they're good enough. They're never bad enough to really get the really good picks. So they just need to do a solid job of building back up the level of talent that they had three or four years ago and seeing what to do. But when you're in that situation, it is a slow process. There's no easy solution. And I think Andy Dalton can certainly be part of that solution. And as we know with the NFL, you can say we can get a better guy, but there's plenty of teams out there who would easily give up like a, f- a couple of first-round draft picks for an Andy Dalton-type player at this point because franchise quarterbacks are so rare. And Andy Dalton just—it's frustrating as a fan to have someone who's good but perhaps not great. But I think it's still much less frustrating than having a bad quarterback basically ruin your entire team for many years to come. Uh, so I think Cincinnati just need to. You know, they just need to get that kind of catch a look of having a good run of, 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 of talent evaluation and accrual to kind of get back where they were a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's interesting to see how that will pan out with obviously Marvin Lewis retained. So I think next season is going to be a big litmus test to see if they can get this level of play out of Dalton. And out of, to be honest, AJ Green's been very disappointing this season as well. So it's whether or not they can get these guys to play up to this promise. And it's something we've been saying since season zero of this podcast that the Bengals. <laughs> never play up to the talent they have on the roster. And now this is arguably... Uh, all the talent has been turned over, so we don't know if this is a more talented roster, although the results don't reflect it. But it potentially could be with the right leadership. So next year going to be very big for, I think, Cincinnati as a whole, uh, for, for Dalton, for Lewis, for the entire leadership. We'll see what direction they're going in. Um, to talk about then Baltimore, like this was... So Cincinnati, obviously, hilariously ending two teams' playoff hopes in consecutive weeks when they were dead... This is concerning. This is a game like on paper. You look at this. This is a Baltimore team that should be able to shut down what has been generally a, you know, inconsistent Cincinnati offense, a Baltimore offense that has been functional for parts of the season, but obviously has its problems. Joe Flacco is Joe Flacco. We know what he is by now. We know whether or not he's elite, but we also know that Joe Flacco's performance depends on the pieces around him. At times, it's looked like they've had it on defense hasn't really looked like they've had it at any point on offense this season. I think Alex Collins has really been the lone bright spark um, in the skill position for this team. So Baltimore, like Baltimore should be challenging Pittsburgh. That's what they should be doing. This should be this has historically been the Ravens and the Steelers. This is the big rivalry. Right now the gap is it's a chasm uh, between these two teams. If you're in charge of, of, of Baltimore and you know, like you, you have these problems on offense, but you have your defensive coordinator retiring. What would you do to fix this team to say that we need to challenge the Steelers next season? What do you think are the players they should be targeting? Are the coaches they should be targeting? What, where do you think that comes from? Like, I think the defense showed enough that if you had a consistent offense, and that was the problem. They looked good 
at certain points, especially towards the end of the season, but they just weren't consistent. That the defense is good enough, there's enough of players there. There's certainly still concerns, but we've said this for like nearly five years at this point, over the age of the defense, but they still seem to find new contributors there and get stuff. And I think with Harbaugh in place, they have someone who can fix that defense, even if the defensive coordinator isn't as experienced as Dean Pease. I think on offense, there's this huge amount of questions. I think it comes down to that Flacco question. We know what Joe Flacco is, but what we saw this year was that even the Joe Flacco that we expected wasn't there. He lost a lot of mobility. He was like a statue in the, in the pocket for too much of the season. There's obviously questions over that back injury, which held them back. And I think if you're in on Joe Flacco, which you probably are considering the contractual situation, you need to give him some weapons. Like, you know, when your number one wide receiver is like Mike Wallace, like that's not a good situation. Mike Wallace is a complimentary maybe wild, like WR3 type player. He isn't going to give you that consistent production. You're relying on these kind of scraps at tight end, although obviously I recognise that they've had injury issues there. Ben Watson was okay when he kept back healthy, but there's obviously a question up there. And I think, as you said, like the offensive line had issues, but it's not the major issue. I just think they just don't have enough weapons. I think when you look at this team, Alex Collins, you saw what he did. They brought him in. Uh, as a free agent and he made a huge difference they need to get more players like that they have enough of these consistent okay guys they need to get more Alex Collinses who can change the game who can flip the field and who can give Joe Flacco a chance now personally I'm not sure on Joe Flacco maybe you should start looking towards the future on him but if you're going to be in on Joe Flacco which is probably the like the path of least resistance then you need to give him something to actually work with if you're going to turn this offense around and give that defense a chance to win you games that they really should have won uh, throughout the season there's only so many times you can get shutouts against the bad teams uh, basically like, if you look at Cincinnati for example they had a shutout in their last game this season now they couldn't hold them to less than uh, less than 30 points or so so I think mm. you know you need to have someone for him to throw to basically yeah I think that's, that's, that's definitely a fair point I mean Wallace is a, is a really good point because like this is a guy the Steelers moved on from years ago and you look at the talent they've had at wide receiver since then and whereas Baltimore have been basically trotting this guy out as, as the wide receiver one, uh, maybe number two to Torrey Smith for a little bit. But it, yeah, it, it does speak volumes to the lack of development there and the lack of help that they're giving a quarterback. And in a way, I think Flacco, and we, we know this for Flacco, is like what you talked about with Dalton. It's like if you give this guy the right tools and the right surrounding cast, he can win you a Super Bowl. He has won them a Super Bowl. But right now he doesn't have that. And I, I think I agree. It's like Flacco, there are certainly questions about Flacco, but ultimately he's still a solid enough piece that you have to give a chance to and he can't just win it by himself and that's what Baltimore are asking him to do. So it'll be interesting to watch Baltimore in the offseason. It'll be interesting to watch them in the draft where they where they target. You would hope wide receiver, um, running back O-line, that kind of stuff, but who knows. They do have a pretty good organization. They've got a good head coach. They've got a good GM. So you'd imagine they put something together, but I think uh, something that's been festering for a while maybe got exposed a little bit hard this year. Yeah, so, it's about expectations of the team. They should be better than they are. They should be competing with Pittsburgh. That's where they're failing to be. I don't think we need to worry that they're going to collapse next season. They just need to get some talented players. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> if it was only that simple, I mean, Cleveland's got loads of talented players. So look what happened to them. <laughs> yeah, it is weird how there aren't even 32 people good enough to play quarterback. That always blows my mind. It's such a hard job. Um, and we do make fun of quarterbacks on the show. And some of them deserve it, but... Like, even the bad ones are insane athletes. Uh, it's mad. It's just mad how good you have to be to be actually good, uh, let alone bad. Like, you have to be so good just to be bad. It's, it's mind-blowing. And we lose sight of it. We really do. 
Speaking of bad like, quarterbacks... Like, like, the, like, like the Mazungus, basically. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... Yeah, speaking of bad quarterbacks, uh, the neutral zone, Arizona, Seattle, 26-24 uh, game. Uh, game, I guess. Uh, this was a... Oh, God, this was a weird one. Like, these are two teams who were just... were powerhouses quite recently, and this season just seemed to have hit... Uh, I don't even know where to describe it. They're just sort of spinning their wheels, I guess. It's a rut both these teams are in. For different reasons... But these are teams that should be doing better than they are. Um, we know Arizona is about to go through a period of change with the change of head coach and quarterback uh, upcoming. Seattle a little more interesting, although we do, there are going to be some big pieces we don't know if they're going to come back uh, next year. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, I just want to say one brief note on this game. Like, despite the fact that there were uh, 50 points scored, it was it was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> Like, Seattle just keep finding ways to lose this season, which has actually been impressive. This is a team that used to, like, find ways to win. It's just been all over the place this season and losing games that really... I mean, look, like, Drew Stanton completed for 145 yards in that game and Arizona won. Like, you can't have a quarterback have that stat and, and lose. It's just been a really weird season like that for Seattle. Um, once again, their run game did nothing. Russell Wilson couldn't quite pull out enough... Uh, bullshit magic to make the magic happen. So let's focus on on, on the home team um, for a second, Seattle. Um, this is a weird spot for them, right? So there's a couple of big pieces that we don't know if they're going to be coming back. They don't really have any picks, and they don't really have any cap space. Like, how does Seattle fix this malaise they're going through? Yeah, it, it's obviously tough. Like, they're kind of in that same situation as teams like Baltimore. It's kind of kind of feels a bit Baltimore-ish where they have enough talent, they have enough contributors that their cap kind of gets used up by them, but they lack certain components that are required to kind of be a genuine contender. Like an this year, the run game was basically pathetic. Chris Carson was okay at the beginning of the season, but even he wasn't like blowing the world away. There's now a statistic coming out on, on, on Reddit and other places like they got net zero yards within the ten. Uh, within 20 yards of the, of the end zone in run game the entire season uh, so that kind of tells you where the run game was and it was kind of showed up this time again like and I think overall on the defense you can see that they are reliant on a couple of superstars and you know any team is really going to be like it's going to suffer if they lose a player like Richard Sherman or Cam Chancellor yeah. or Cliff Averill but you still kind of expect with the kind of reputation that they have that they could work around it and at times they just couldn't. That Rams game in particular kind of stands out. Albeit they didn't have uh, they didn't have Wagner and Wright, KJ Wright in that game either. I think overall their biggest problem is you know like they're they're in a situation where uh, the biggest situation is that they've just over since they lost that game to New England. There's just been a number of kind of cumulative mistakes that you kind of led to this point you think of the Jimmy Graham trade which never really worked out it, it was really best this season but that's only because he was really good in the red zone he kind of has lost that like uh, you know uh, open field play like a uh, game breaking potential you think of Blair Walsh this year loses them another game in the last I was just mid, about like, to ask kick. Like, like the reason that they didn't have the, that they lost the tiebreaker to Atlanta or at least didn't have a chance to go to overtime is because of a Blair Walsh kick like and you know, if you look at the way the games ended, they could be like on twelve wins if Blair Walsh wasn't shit, basically. Um, I think there's just a number of things where, in pre, and then the penalties, Jesus Christ, the penalties. I think there's just a number of situations where, you know, back in 2013, they were so good at all levels, they could get away with being a bit inefficient or having, you know, curious positions on 9/11 and on personnel. <laughs> <laughs> but now that you know they don't have that anymore 
question whether like Pete Carroll and or like Daryl Bevel, the entire coaching staff, have the ability to take less overwhelmingly talented like, like players who they got through the crucible of like turnover and actually make them good. Because obviously in Russell Wilson, you have a franchise quarterback mm-hmm. that should by default make you contender. The defense wasn't terrible this year, albeit a step down. But there's just that sense that you know they went behind so often in the first half, didn't do anything for basically the first three quarters too often, and you have to ask, is there something rotten in the heart of Washington, basically? And I think it's hard to panic when you go nine and seven, and you probably would have went ten and six if you like. I think it, like for me personally, it looked like they knew the Atlanta result after two minute warning and just kicked it because they didn't want to risk injury or whatever. Um, and it just kind of feels like one of those situations where the team is good but not great, and it's always tough to get out of that rut. We've seen that so many times with other teams, except for the Patriots, because fuck them. Yeah, well, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, some, some, some of us are just blessed, you know? It'll be interesting to see if they're willing to make changes, because Pete Carroll is not going to retire. He's talking about how young he feels still, so we'll see if they're actually willing to make any changes. If there isn't, you can kind of feel the rumblings and the fan base might increase a bit more. Uh, if next season comes up and they haven't made any improvements from here but yeah, with the injuries maybe they they have more injury luck next year and they become a contender again but right now it looks like they're a team in transition rather than uh, in in line to be the superpower we expected a few years ago yeah I think that you know a lot of that's true Um, I will say like Blaine Blair Blair Walsh is very tempting because he's terrible have you cut him yet? Uh, not yet alright you will though (laughs) Um, Blaine Blair Walsh is tempting and I mean it's another nice kick but like Team converted less than ten percent of their third downs. Like it, it just, ugh. Um, I think it goes beyond beyond just a scapegoat kicker. Uh, although I think you 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 articulated that. I just felt like throwing out that stat that you converted eight point three percent of first downs, which is really bad. Um, quick note on the running game: Connor uh, isn't here with us, but he did say something. He said, "Will Eddie Lacy get more yards or way more pounds at the end of the season?" And while we did make a uh, Packed not to make fun of Eddie Lacy's weight anymore on this podcast. Um, I will say that Eddie Lacy weighs 253 pounds. I've got 179 rushing yards, so more pounds than yards for Eddie Lacy. That didn't work. Um, remember when he was good? That was weird. Um, Arizona, then, on the other hand, they're also in a bit of a spot now. I mean, with the news about Arians and Palmer, this is looking like a rebuild. This looks like this is something that's probably going to need to come from the bottom up with all the talent that they supposedly have on defense and with you know the sack leader this season in Chandler Jones with guys like Terry Matthew and Patrick Peterson just not functioning it's all going to be a bit weird right I mean do Arizona now have to go out and draft a quarterback or are they going to enter into this free agency melee and try and get somebody like an Alex Smith yeah it's weird I definitely need to sort of quarterback but I think I don't necessarily agree with you they're 8-8 eight Despite the fact they missed basically, if not the best running back, one of the top three running backs in the entire league, they were missing their starting quarterback pretty much all the season and requiring, relying on Drew Stanton, who we now find out doesn't have an ACL. That's apparently not important when you're Drew Stanton. If Carson Palmer had known that, he could have played three more years. You know, they relied on Peterson, they got Kerwin Williams, and despite all of that, they managed to do stuff. And now maybe that's Bruce Arians. Maybe Bruce Arians is just a guy who can get your guys to compete no matter what and the new coach wouldn't have been able to do that but I think you know and Larry Fitz obviously was relied on far too much uh, and might be gone but I think for the Cardinals there's certainly enough talent considering all of the things that they faced uh, particularly uh, on the offense that I wouldn't dismiss them out of hand completely that they're going into full rebuild but yeah I think 
if they get the right pieces, if they get the right look, if they got a good coach and a good quarterback either by free agency or in the draft, this is a team that could quickly become a competitor in the NFC West again. I wouldn't bet on it, but I wouldn't say it would completely surprise me either. Uh, and, you know, with, with the potential for that happening, with the Seahawks continuing to have that talent, uh, with the LA Rams obviously being there, and the Goat Rapolo hype, the NFC West could return to be one of the better divisions next year, and that could only be good for everyone, except for me, obviously, as an NFC West team supporter. <laughs> well, I mean, that's how it happens, but yeah, um, it's going to so be interesting. I, I, I want to be a little bit more optimistic about the Cardinals. They're losing a lot, but I think that's becoming down the line, and I think the, the defense is good enough that if the offense could get a few contributors, if they could fix quarterback straight away, I think they could be right in the thick of it much quicker than we might imagine. Okay, yeah, well, maybe we'll see. I think we have different, different opinions on there, but we'll, we'll see how that plays out over the off-season. But I think we can agree that this is going to be a much more competitive uh, division than it has been in seasons past uh, between the Rams and the Niners. Looking a lot better, and Arizona and Seattle not looking as good as they were beforehand. Okay, I don't want to spend a huge amount of time on this next game because it is one of the worst games I have ever seen. And like, We engage a lot of hyperbole, we have a lot of fun, we're like, oh, that was, this is, this, no, this was actually one of the worst games in the history of the NFL. Like, this is rivaling that fucking... 7-6 to six Jets Cardinals game from a few years ago the dumpster fire Dallas at Philly <laughs> White, like, you'd think that wouldn't be in the dumpster fire it was uh, da- Dallas won 6 nothing uh, because of course they missed, missed the extra point on the only touchdown of the game <sighs> okay like was this the worst game ever am, am I going crazy or was this just the worst game ever I haven't watched enough football but it's certainly oh, like it's probably the worst in the sense of both being highly unentertaining and also really bad football. Like that Seahawks 6-6 drawn game or 9-9 drawn game last season was up there, but it was probably more entertaining and stupid. Yeah. This wasn't even stupid. It was just bad and sad and man, just all the bad things at once. Nowhere near the so bad it's good. Just It went past that to just like ultimate dumpster fire hell kind of situation it, it um, really was um, so a couple of, <laughs> couple of brief notes like Nick Falls has looked okay this season coming in for Carson Wentz he did not look good today he didn't play that much um, I think he only played for the first first few drives and then was replaced by something called a Nate Sudfeld who then proceeded to be like throwing dump offs pretty much the whole game nothing happened um, do you think there's any concern about what we saw from Falls, or do you think that's just like, ah, oh, look, it was just the game, it was just week 17, it didn't really matter? Yeah, I don't really expect Nick Foles to be consistent. It's just one of those cases that he could be the Nick Foles who is decent, it could be the Nick Foles who's absolutely shit. Maybe there's a chance it'll be that amazing Nick Foles we saw for like half a season. Uh, but I think the Eagles, they know Foles isn't an answer, except insofar that they can hope that the rest of the team can compensate for it. I think their biggest concern right now is that run game has really mm. not done anything for the last month or so. If that run game isn't going with all that they've invested with, with Blunt and uh, and with JHI, if that doesn't get going in the playoffs, then it's time to start worrying. And in the NFC, there is no easy games anyway. So I'd be worried as a Philadelphia Eagles fan about their chances of taking advantage of this obviously great opportunity of being the number one seed. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, it's a weird one. Jay was benched this week. In fairness, well, he was benched. He was sat this week, rather. In fairness, so um, I suppose that's probably possibly a potential point in their favour. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Also, shout out to Donnie Jones, the punter for running on the field uh, in his uh, tracksuit pants. It was so fucking cold, and then taking them <laughs> off as he was waiting for the snap. Pretty baller move for a punter. Uh, Dallas, look, I don't. Tom Brady would say it was cold as balls. It, it was cold <laughs> as balls. Um, I don't know what we need to say about Dallas that we haven't really said about Dallas in the last few weeks. They're sort of 
staggering over the finish line. Uh, I guess they won. That's good. Dak Prescott looked like ass again. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott got the ball a billion times, had a couple of big runs, but also had a lot of time. Spent a lot of time getting stuffed. All the receivers looked bad. Nobody looked like they cared. The defense was all right, but Philly's offense wasn't really there. Like, I got just one question, a quick question about Dallas. Is Dak Prescott going to be good enough for this team? Like, he was really good in his rookie year, and this year he struggled a lot. This is another game where he just looked lost. I think you have to be very worried as a Cowboys fan that Dak Prescott has been overhyped. He's perhaps a good quarterback, but I kind of feel like they might have got ahead of themselves where they thought he was a franchise quarterback. Next year is going to be pivotal for him. And I think the biggest change would be, can they find someone to replace Des Bryant? Because Des Bryant looks busted right now. Can they get someone who is supposed to be what Des Bryant is, a wide receiver, number one, that they can rely on? Because with Ezekiel Elliott there, the offensive line still being pretty good, although not as good as it was. I think Dak Prescott will be fine. But I think there might be a sense he's more of an Andy Dalton type figure than like a Tom Brady, Russell Wilson type figure who can carry a team by himself. I think that's just the reality there. And that should, and you know, the big that'll be a bigger problem in two years when they have to decide whether to pay him money or not, uh, rather than right now. They have him for another two years in rookie deal. I'm sure they'll just see how it goes. But there's certainly a lot more question marks now than there was last season. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. So a couple of interesting seasons coming up in Dallas um, if he can't turn it around. Uh, we do have some questions from the listeners, but we're going to kick them to next week because um, we love to- listening to ourselves talk so much that we're running a little bit over time. Uh, so we'll come back to those. So uh, we're going to have a little look ahead to the wildcard weekend. Four wildcard games. Um, we'll go through the picks on those. First, I think we should recap uh, the regular season picks. As you know, we've been doing it every week. Um, Connor uh, was our champion. He got 173 to 83, so 0.677. Ronan was two games behind, 171 to 85, uh, 0.668. And then I happened. Um, <laughs> uh, 154 to 102, 0.602, a very distant third. Uh, but like 2 1 still, though, you know? It's, like a, it's a decent grade. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a decent grade. We're, we're curve marking, that's the problem. <laughs> Not, not my finest showing, but better than some pundits who are paid to do this for a living, so I don't know. Also, a quick shout-out whilst we're on the topic of like our own stats. Um, you know, we keep a little tally of uh, how many times a team has been mentioned during the podcast. Ronan, Ronan takes care of that for us very kindly. Uh, so the highest we had, um, Cleveland, because, God, that was fun. Carolina, consistently interesting team. Jacksonville, surprise package. Atlanta, again, consistently interesting. Rams and Detroit. Um, Carolina and Cleveland were the highest 14, the rest of them at 13. And then the lowest, uh, we had Tampa Bay at four, but I think we took a vow halfway through the podcast to never mention them again, so that might have had a, a factor there. Cincinnati also at four because they were just boring and there. They were they were saved by this yeah. week by being doing interesting things in the Absolutely. final week of the season, to be honest. But that left us with our least mentioned team all by themselves, the Washington Mazungus. Because like I think early in the season we were like, this organization is completely dysfunctional and we'll come back to it if anything changes. And... Nothing changed. They continued just being dysfunctional and kind of like bad while having talented players, but not particularly exciting and kicking a lot of field goals. So, yeah, but that wasn't They'll get fun. plenty of off-season mentions, I'm sure, with the current cousin situation. Yeah. Uh, lots of positive mentions, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll make it up to you, Mazungu fans. Don't worry. Uh, yeah, so those guys uh, be more interesting. 
uh, I guess. Uh, you're all less interesting than Cleveland. That's weird. Like, Cleveland are an entertaining dumpster fire. Like, at least be an entertaining dumpster fire and not just, like, Washington and just every game is boring. Okay, so, wildcard weekend picks. So, we've got um, four games here, obviously. We're just going to go through them. Uh, we actually have agreement across the three of us on all of them, I think. Um, so, the first one is Tennessee at Kansas City. And uh, we've all taken Kansas City here. Um, I'd like to have Connor here to, you know, give us some opinions on it. But uh, he's not here. So, Ronan, uh, Kansas City. Yeah, I think Connor prefers when he's against the grain anyway. So, <laughs> I don't think you'd have too much in there to say that KC are better than Tennessee. Like Kansas City, over the last month or so, after was an epic mid-season swoon, like truly, truly fantastic, uh, amazing work there <laughs> to go from being a genuine like bi-week contender to like number four very comprehensively. But like, yeah, KC, they've turned it around. They've got Kareem Hunt going go. They've got Tyreek Hill going again. Basically, they started that offense going again. And the defense, while it's still a bit uh, meh, and certainly has given up a far way too many explosive plays. I think this is more a pick against Tennessee than a pick for Kansas City. Kansas City are a solid team that could give any team, I think, in the AFC trouble on their day, except for Pittsburgh, probably. <laughs> uh, but overall, I think over the course of their season, they've just been good, not great this season. Uh, but I think that should be enough. They're at home. They're in Arrowhead. It'll be as cold as balls, probably, because it's Kansas City, and they're going through some kind of tropic, well, some kind of anti-tropical storm, basically. Um, Put a vortex, isn't it? Yeah, Tennessee aren't used to such conditions, so that'll be another thing against. The only question is if, you know, Tennessee are supposedly a run-game-heavy team, maybe they can give them trouble, but based on the evidence we've had for the last, basically, two months, I'm not really that afraid for Kansas City. It'll not be probably the most visually exciting game, but I think Kansas City uh, oftentimes are better in that situation. I expect Andy Reid to make the right play calls, if not necessarily the right uh, time calls. Yeah. Um, actually, funnily enough, this is the only uh, playoff game I correctly predicted from my pre- pre-season uh, matrix of how games are going to go. Now, Ooh. that may be entirely coincidental, <laughs> <laughs> and neither team finished where I thought they would, but, you know, it's happening. I think you're right. Like, yeah, Tennessee are not looking very good at the moment. It will be whether or not they can get that run game going. Mariota has struggled, I think, with more interceptions than uh, touchdowns, certainly more turnovers than touchdowns this season. Uh, Kansas City has sort of hit a bit of form again coming into the back end of it, and I I think it's very hard to pick against them at home against a team that just, like, is really good against the Jags, but otherwise not. So we'll see if they play the Jags again. That might be interesting. Um, Right, then we'll still go to the NFC. Uh, Atlanta at the Rams. We've all taken the Rams, although Connor has noted, but, full stop, it's, full stop, close, full stop. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but uh, there it is. Basically, this one, now, I might not be the most neutral source of this, because I'm still not very impressed with Atlanta this season. I think they've been fine, but I think their record is flattering to them versus the way they've played in a lot of games. And what we've seen from the Rams is that this team, if if you cannot take away Todd Gurley, this team can beat you and can beat you heftily, heftily. They've got a very solid defense. They've got an improving quarterback, although he still does, as we've seen, rely very much on uh, the threat of the run to open up the play around him. But that's dangerous. Atlanta are like fine against the run, but not particularly spectacular. Coming into LA, into what's bizarrely going to be actually quite a full stadium, um, which would be weird for the Rams. That might throw them off, if anything. <laughs> um, playing in front of a full house. But 
like right now, this has been a bit of wobbly team that has struggled consistently to find an offensive style that works for it. We've discussed that ad nauseum this season about the failure to utilize Julio Jones properly, about the disappearance of all of their um, gadget and trick play players. Though we did see in last week, Taylor Gabriel finally sent on a gadget play and it worked, but something they just haven't done all season, haven't been able to get going effectively all season. Both of their running backs have been kind of disappointing. So while Atlanta have still been good, this isn't this isn't the Super Bowl team of last year, or they're not playing like the Super Bowl team of last year. Whereas the Rams seem to be um, peaking almost, as in like this is a team that's been good all season, but just seems to consistently be good. It's not like they're going up and down. It's like this is a team that's been consistently on the rise. It's been consistently putting up impressive performances throughout the season. Um, so for me, I just think that defense is going to cause all kinds of problems. The injury to Andy Levitri might turn out to be important when they're trying to find ways to stop the likes of Aaron Donald and Robert Quinn causing problems. Um, they're going to have to find a way. Like They can beat the Rams through the air. I've got no doubt about that. But it's about being able to utilize pieces and create mismatches. And that's something that they have really, really struggled to do this season. And I so with that being where I see them winning, and I just don't think they've been effective at it in any consistent way, versus the Rams being like, pound the ball with Todd Gurley, pass the ball to Todd Gurley, give the ball to Todd Gurley, right, <laughs> now the game has opened up and we can let Jared Goff throw it around a bit. I don't think Atlanta are right now a good enough team to overcome that, so I would pick the Rams and I would be more confident than Connor would be in making that pick. Yeah, I would probably edge at that. I think... You've, you've nailed it on the head. The central player for the Rams. I've said it all season. Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley. If that if Todd Gurley gets going, this will be a blowout. Basically, that's how I would see it. And that's been true for most of the season. When they've got Todd Gurley going, when he's got over 100 yards, the other team has been blown away because their defense, even though it's been strangely perhaps not as good as we would expect, considering the hype that came in when when they brought in um, the defensive coordinator. Um, it's still a very good defense. They still have uh, Aaron Donald, who is a wrecker of games, and with Levitre gone, that can only get worse for them. Uh, so I think the big thing that comes out for Atlanta is if that defensive line and that linebacker group can play up to the reputation that perhaps they have. If like players like Grady Jarrett can get going, Dontari Poe can get going, uh, and, and Deion Jones can get going. If they play to the way that we know they can play based uh, on their talent level, then they have a chance to shut down Todd Gurley. But based on what we've seen all season, it's just hard to see that happening. But if they do shut down Todd Gurley, if that did happen, I've said it, once again, I've said it all season, I don't trust Jared Goff in the big mm. games. I don't trust he can control the offense. And I think with a defense like Atlanta, which is pretty opportunistic when it needs to be, good at getting interceptions, that could make the difference and make a close game. And then Matt Ryan might be able to get enough production along with Devonta Freeman to kind of get enough yards, enough points to, to make it a game. But it, I get, like for me, it's all about Todd Gurley and seeing if he can get it going. And based on what we've seen all season, I would expect that to happen. So give it to the Rams. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so then Buffalo at Jackson. I can't believe <laughs> Buffalo at Jackson for <laughs> this the playoff game. game. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most. Uh, oh my god! It's, it's, it's out there. I mean, we've all taken uh, we've all taken Jacksonville. Uh, I, I I don't know how much time we need to spend. Like. God bless Buffalo. Congratulations on making it. It's awesome. It's real heartwarming. It's real nice for you guys. Buffalo are kind of terrible. And while Jacksonville have been like fucking up and down all season, even if their offense has one of those weeks where it just sucks balls, 
I can't see Buffalo's offense doing anything to move the ball against this Jacksonville defense, particularly if Shady McCoy can't play, right? Yeah, I think he's kind of 50-50 right now. Obviously, he'll do everything he can to play, but he wouldn't be expected 100% regardless. Uh, and I would agree. Like On paper, everything says Jacksonville should do this pretty easily. And they've been pretty good most of the season. The only X factor, of course, is the Bortles factor. Blake Bortles is known for doing incredibly <laughs> stupid things at incredibly inopportune moments. He, his renaissance that we saw perhaps for, I think, three weeks uh, <laughs> seems to have stuttered in the last few weeks as they've taken a few kind of losses that they would have preferred to not take it, which would have given them a chance to kind of compete for those buys. And with that kind of reduction in, the, in their production, as it were, um, over the last few weeks, the defence hasn't really looked as good. Maybe they're saving themselves, but maybe it's Jacksonville. <laughs> maybe. Like, if there was any team that a bad Buffalo team could have a chance again at wildcard weekend, it's Jacksonville because they have the hoodoo. All, like, both of these teams have such a hoodoo about them that if things were to go against them, if there was a lucky play, if a return went for a touchdown, you could definitely see either of these teams going into full-on panic mode, throwing chairs, ridiculous picks, doing stupid stuff. It's a stupid game for stupid teams who are giving a chance of redemption. One of them has to win, thankfully, for, for their beleaguered fans. But uh, Jacksonville on paper should blow it away, but Jacksonville. <laughs> I think this game might be a fun, sloppy fest or just like a lockdown kind of affair, but we'll see. Um, final game then is Carolina at New Orleans now fun fact both uh, obviously because of the, the way the matchups work both Carolina and New Orleans played uh, Buffalo this season and uh, tale of two sides this is a fun little little moment here because the Saints annihilated them they won uh, 47-10 in week 10 uh, Carolina played them in week 2 and I don't, you remember this game they won 9-3 against <laughs> the Bills so um, what does that tell us absolutely fucking nothing but uh, I just thought that was funny um, Carolina were still pretending that Cam Newton is a pocket quarterback. <laughs> yeah, they, they, yeah. I mean, well, it's not like Buffalo did anything that game either. So, um, yeah, we've all gone for New Orleans, the home team across the board. In fact, I think we've actually gone for the home team in every single game, which I suppose makes sense, since given the seeding, they're theoretically the better team. Um, yeah, why New Orleans running? Yeah, I think over the course of the season, New Orleans have consistently been a good team. Their defense under Dennis Allen has shown. Massive strides. Obviously, they brought in uh, a couple of pieces that have made a huge difference, like the rookie cornerback. Uh, and overall, the offense has made a, like another dramatic change from being the Drew, like the Drew Brees show, where he throws for five thousand yards, to the Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram show. And consistently, they've got production again and again this season, with, with maybe the occasional blip. Uh, I think the one worry for New Orleans is they're coming in this game. Uh, like they, they've kind of stuttered a bit towards the end of the season. But I think when the pressure's been on when they needed to win, uh, they've managed to pull it out. And Carolina, for all of the kind of good things they do, we know what Carolina are. They are predictable. So you would hope that if that defense is as good as we think it is New Orleans, where that improvement is real, they can focus in on the weaknesses of that offense and shut down Cam Newton's run game and make sure that they have to go to the air. Because Cam Newton, when he has to throw, looks really bad, to be honest, unless he's thrown to Greg Olson. In that game against Atlanta, there were so many times he just threw a wide-open wide, wide receiver like five yards behind him or in front of him. Uh, I think New Orleans, their game plan is simple. They are functional enough right now that they can implement it. So I think Carolina, who are a team who require really being ahead to really do stuff, won't have enough to do it in the, uh, in the Superdome. 
Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, a lot of it is going to be the question of who can shut down whose run game. I mean, while obviously you know you think Drew Brees through the air is still more of a threat than Cam Newton, fair enough. But Brees has been not spectacular this season. He's been good, but signs of decline anyway. Um, so it's not quite the same as it would have been. So it's going to be yeah, who can can Carolina for me? It's like can they stop Kamara and Ingram uh, versus can uh, uh, New Orleans stop Stewart and McCaffrey? And I think Kamara and Ingram have proven to be the better backfield pairing, uh, although you might argue that Carolina have the better uh, defensive line linebackers to match up against them. I don't know if that's necessarily true anymore. Um, but I, so I, I think on that basis, I would, I would definitely favor New Orleans. Then if it does come down to both teams succeeding at the pass fest, I think you do have to favor Breeze. Although we know Cam Newton sometimes has these games where he just catches yeah. fire, but he is throwing to like a bunch of hams at this point. Like, just, I mean, like... They have Funches and they have yeah. Like, like Olsen's Olsen's looked decent. Funches has been like he doesn't yeah, look yeah. like a wide receiver one anyway. Put it that way. He's been he's been pretty mediocre this year. Um, so yeah, I just, I just New Orleans probably a better team at this point. It's weird, right? I thought they were going to stink this year, but hey, prove me wrong. Um, lots of people have proved me wrong. All my picks were terrible. We'll discuss that on another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's all of the games. We'll see what the story is. We'll probably. I think some of them are on Saturday, some of them early enough on a Sunday, so the wildcard weekend should be a good weekend of watching, even in our time zone. Uh, so yeah, we're looking forward to it. So um, yeah, that's uh, everything for me, Ronan. You got any plans for the week ahead, or anything well, interesting to discuss? Football. Uh, other than that, I don't think so. That's I'm back to work tomorrow, so <sighs> that's all I, I've got to think about right now. But uh, that's grim. yeah. It's football. It's Saturday and Sunday. What else would I need to do? <laughs> that's entirely fair. Um... I think, I think my roommate has just made an unexpected cameo on the podcast, so probably time to wrap up. Um, that You made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, guys, as usual, keep questions coming in, any comments. Uh, hit us up, you know, Facebook, Twitter, whatever social media platform you choose to, whether or not we're on it, just go for it. We'll, we'll come and find it. We Google our own names all the time. It's all we do. We just, we're, we just, we just want to be loved, okay, guys? It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from Ronan. Bye. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I meant to sit by myself, and then I, I, yeah, it went wrong. Um, thank God Connor's back next week because I have been absolutely terrible at this. <laughs> Sorry. So apologies to all of you. Apologies to Ronan. Uh, apologies to Connor for thinking I could keep your seat warm. This has been all four quarters. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>